Notes on the Scientific and Religious Mysteries of Antiquity, the Gnosis and the Secret Schools of the Middle Ages, Modern Rosicrucianism, and the Various Rites and Degrees of Free and Accepted Masonry. By John Yarker, Jr. Read by Graham Dunlop. Edited by Darren Grimes. Preface the writer does not presume to put forward the following pages as any approach to a complete work upon the subject of which they treat. They are but the avant-garde to pioneer the way for a larger corpse of facts. The attention of Masonic students and industrious members of old lodges, charters, and conclaves is again called to the desirability of collecting and publishing any information or new facts which can be obtained, either from old works on the recondite mysteries of antiquity, or from the records of Freemasonry in its various degrees. As it is only thus that we can obtain a correct knowledge of our order, and eliminate the truth. Until this is done, it is impossible to dogmatize and unsafe even to theorize. We have especially a dearth of information in England upon the earlier phase of Rosicrucianism, and later of the progress of high-grade Freemasonry owing to the secret character of both and the fact that no minutes of proceedings were kept. The best authorities obtainable have been consulted in this compilation, which is the result of a few leisure hours snatched from affairs of commerce, and a free use made of their labors on this peculiar and interesting subject, the whole being in manuscript before the appearance of a recent work on the Rosicrucians. The sublime depths of the mysteries of antiquity have been sounded but by few minds in the lapse of ages, and those who have leisure to follow upon their tracks will meet with an ample reward. The object of these pages is merely to point the way, a signpost in a strange land. 43. Charlton Road, Manchester, November 8, 1871 Notes on the Speculative Mysteries Chapter 1. The Scientific and Religious Mysteries of Antiquity It may be proper to premise that there was in existence amongst all civilized nations of antiquity an exoteric form of religion and an esoteric interpretation. The one constituted the religious beliefs of the vulgar, and the other the secret teachings of a philosophical association, to which none but candidates prepared in mind and body were admitted. The most notable of these mysterious fraternities were those of Mithras in Persia, of Isis and Osiris in Egypt, of the Kabiri in Samothrace, of Brahm in India, of Bacchus or Dionysus in Syria, of Eleusis in Greece, of the Druids in Britain, of Balder in Scandinavia, of Vitzlipuzli in America, etc., 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 the ceremonial observances of these orders are supposed to have originated in the representation of that contest between good and evil, which is figured to us in the biblical legend of the serpent tempter, leading on to the destruction of Abel by his brother Cain, as the Talmudical legends say, by a blow upon the forehead with a stone. All these rites referred to the death and resurrection of some mythic personage and in some cases accurately corresponded in time and duration to the three days ceremonial of the Christian church in the honor of the Savior. He that should come. 
and of whom these ancient mysteries seem to have been prophetical. Such a wide diffusion of these rites, as that which we have enumerated, points to their establishment in the cradle of our race, after which they were developed to suit the views and policy of the different races or families dispersed therefrom, and in the lapse of centuries reacted upon each other. The purpose or effect of these remarkable associations was the conservation of arts and science, arithmetic, geometry, music, theology, theosophy, theurgic magic, probably magnetism and clairvoyance, astronomy with astrology, medicine and chemistry or alchemy. Fortified as the knowledge of these hidden mysteries of nature and science was by peculiar secret ceremonies known only to the priests and the initiated. The select character of the fraternity was preserved on the principle. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine. And the teaching was everywhere veiled in allegory and symbols. But the priests, in the end, abusing the confidence reposed in them, allowed the mass of the people to fall into a gross and brutalizing idolatry, from which they were saved by the promulgation of Christianity. We are inclined to assign the palm of purity and antiquity to the mysteries of our Aryan forefathers, who formed a civilized nation to the north of Persia. The Kabiric mysteries of Samothrace were very ancient, and are believed to have preserved the Babylonian or Chaldean tradition of a great flood, recorded in Genesis as that of Noah, and here the astrological part was most developed. They possessed also a day divided into twenty-four equal parts, and planetary names for the seven days of the week. Barosis, the historian, records that prior to all this, Oannes composed a book of the generation, of all things which he buried in the city of the sun, at Sapara, and that the same was recovered after this flood. Dr. Anderson observes in his History of Masonry in 1723 that the learned mathematicians of those parts, who were called Magi, cultivated both geometry and masonry under the patronage of the kings and great men of the East. The Indian gymnosophists are believed to practice nine degrees, the last terminating in nirvana, or absorption in the deity, being therefore well advanced in the spiritual or theurgic part. The symbol of initiation in Persia and India is a cord of seven threads knotted thrice three, or according to the degrees possessed in the Brahmanical hierarchy. The nearest resemblance to the Brahminical mysteries is probably found in the very ancient paths of the dervishes which are usually governed by twelve officers, the oldest court, superintending the others by right of seniority. Here the master of the court is called sheikh, and has his deputies, caliphs, or successors, of which there may be many. The order is divided into at least four columns, pillars, or degrees. The first step is that of humanity, which supposes attention to the written law, and annihilation in the sheikh. The second is that of the path, in which the murid, or disciple, attains spiritual powers and self-annihilation into the peer, or founder of the path. The third stage is called knowledge, and the murid is supposed to become inspired, called annihilation into the prophet. The fourth stage leads him even to God, when he becomes a part of the deity and sees him in all things. The first and second stages have received modern subdivisions, as integrity, virtue, temperance, benevolence. 
After this, the sheikh confers upon him the grade of caliph, or honorary master. For in their mystical language, the man must die before the saint can be born. It will be seen that this kind of mysticism is applicable to Christ as founder of a path. It is, however, to Egypt that we must look for the most complete development of every branch of this sublime and mysterious association. Its hierophants being perfect masters of architecture, geometry, music, astronomy, medicine, chemistry, and theology. As has been well observed, she clothed the dogmas of the mythic, or first Zoroaster, with images if not richer, at least truer and chaster than those of India. The emerald tablet of Hermes Trismegistus is the whole of Magianism in a single page. 1. I speak not fiction, but what is certain and most true. 2. What is below is like that which is above, and what is above is like that which is below for performing the miracle of one thing. 3. And as all things were produced from one by the meditation of one, so all things are produced from this one thing by adaptation. 4. Its father is the sun, its mother was the moon, the wind carried it in its belly, its nurse is the earth. 5. It is the cause of all perfection throughout the whole world. 6. Its power is perfect if it be changed unto the earth. 7. Separate the earth from the fire, the subtle from the gross, gently and with judgment. 8. It ascends from earth to heaven and descends again to the earth. Thus you will possess the glory of the whole world, and all obscurity will fly away. 9. This thing is the fortitude of all fortitude, because it overcomes all subtle things and penetrates every solid thing. 10. Thus were all things created. 11. Thence proceeds wonderful adaptations, which are produced in this way. 12. Therefore am I called Hermes Drismagistus, possessing the three parts of the philosophy of the whole world. 13. What I had to say concerning the operation of the sun is complete. The doctrine of Hermes or Thoth cannot be lost to those who have the keys of symbolism. The architectural ruins of Egypt are like scattered pages of a great book, whose capital letters were temples, whose phrases were cities, punctuated with obelisks and sphinxes. The geography of Egypt under Sesostris is a pentacle, that is to say a symbolical resume of all the Magian dogma of Zoroaster, recovered and formulated by Hermes, the absolute hieroglyphic science had for its basis an alphabet in which all the gods were letters, all the letters ideas, all the ideas numbers, and all the numbers perfect signs. With this Moses formed the great secret of his Kabbalah, symbolized by the carrying away of the sacred vases. This alphabet is the famous book of Thoth, said still to exist under the form of the pack of cards called the Tarot. The mysteries, we know, were practiced in a secret subterranean under the Temple of Solomon at Jerusalem, where four and twenty elders adored the sun, with their faces towards the east. The image of jealousy was erected northward of the gate of the altar, and their ceremonial degeneracy denounced by the prophet Ezekiel. But the veneration of the Jews for the sacred fire, light, first principle, or holy spirit of the Persians and Egyptians, 
is indicated in the Abrahamic sacrifice of burnt offering and shown in numberless passages of the scriptures. We will commence a short recital of the gorgeous ceremonials of these esoteric receptions, with a description of those of Mithras in Persia. This rite consisted of seven degrees. The candidate underwent a purification by water and fire, fasting, anointed with oil, crowned with olives, and clothed in enchanted armor. He commenced his advance through the rigorous trials of seven caverns, his entrance to the first of which was opposed by a drawn sword, from which wounds were often acquired. These caverns were styled the ladder of perfection, and were connected with each other by winding passages and accessible by a narrow portal. In these he was exposed to the fury of wild beasts, the rage of the elements, fire and flood, from which he must issue passionless and pure. In the seventh cavern, or Saislam, brilliantly lighted, decorated with gems and the signs of the zodiac, darkness was changed to light, and the aspirant beheld the archmages, seated on a splendid throne. Here the obligation of secrecy, the infraction of which was certain death, was administered to the neophyte. He was baptized, anointed on the forehead, received bread and wine. A crown was presented on the point of a sword which he refused, saying, Mithras is my crown. And finally he was armed and declared a soldier of Mithras. This was the first or lowest degree of the order. The second was styled that of the lion, and the remaining five degrees were named from animals sacred to Mithras whose birth was celebrated annually on the 25th of December. All the rites were universally governed by three chief officers in accordance with the oracles of Zoroaster, which says, The mind of the Father decreed that all things should be divided into three. The doctrines taught in these mysteries, as we learn from the Zendavesta, approximated to the later views of the Christians. The great cause, or unbounded time, created light in the beginning, and out of this light, or sacred fire, or ethereal spirit, proceeded Ormazd, the principle of light, who was the creator of the world and of Amenti, or paradise. He produced also the superior genie who surrounded his throne, and the inferior genie, or guardian angels of the world, whose chief is Mithras. But the great cause also created Araman, the principle of darkness who created the bleak regions and the evil genie under him. From these two opposing principles of good and evil, which they sometimes compared to the attraction and repulsion of the magnet, proceed perpetual strife and war, creating black and white, love and hatred, truth and falsehood, light and darkness. So also the holy magi invoked the angels of Ormuzd and of Mithras, but the wicked sorcerer invoked the evil genie of Ermans. Mithras was supposed to have his residence in the sun, hence he was symbolized by that luminary, or by the sacred ever-burning fire of the temple. He is identical with Michael the archangel, one of the chief princes, alluded to by Daniel the archmagus of the Persians, upon whom the ancient heralds conferred the title of Premier Chevalier. Either from the supposed identity of these chivalric ceremonies with the mysteries, or, as is more likely, from St. Jude's relation of the successful war in heaven against Satan, or Araman. Of the Egyptian mysteries, we have a short description in the Metamorphos of Apuleius. They were divided into lesser and greater, and the aspirant underwent a purification and fast of many days. 
The first degree was that of Isis, celebrated at the vernal equinox. The aspirant, after a figurative descent into Hades, or the abode of departed spirits, was tried by the four elements, earth, air, fire, and water. He was then admitted into the magnificently illuminated apartment of the initiated, took an oath of secrecy, had the symbols of the doctrines explained, and was entrusted, invested, proclaimed, and feasted. Goddess, or Queen Isis, was represented by the moon, that luminary being described as both male and female. She represents the productive powers of nature and declares, I am all that has been, that is, or shall be, and no mortal hath ever withdrawn my veil. The fruit which I brought forth became the sun. Next followed the mysteries of Serapis, celebrated at the summer solstice. We have here no detailed description. Clement of Alexandria states, however, that the worshippers of Serapis were obliged to wear on their person, in a conspicuous situation, the name of ai ha which signifies God the Eternal. The third ceremony was the Mysteries of Osiris, celebrated at the autumnal equinox. Herodotus expressly informs us that in these rites, they go through a representation of his sufferings. The ceremonial was practiced dramatically upon the aspirant, and represented the murder of the good King Osiris by his evil brother Typhon and 72 conspirators, symbolizing thus the perpetual strife between good and evil. The legend, as handed down to us, states that Typhon, or Set, placed the body of Osiris in a coffin and threw it into the Nile, where it was eventually found reposing upon the lotus plant by his sorrowing consort, Isis. Again recovered by Typhon, he cuts up the body into fourteen pieces. These are again collected by the faithful queen, with the exception of the missing emblem of generation. Osiris returned from the abode of spirits and gave his aid to Horus, who eventually overthrew Typhon. Osiris, son of the sun, he, whose name is secret, like the Persian Mithras, is represented by the sun, whose bright beams give light, warmth, and fertility, and the whole legend was constructed, or rather perhaps reformed, on an astronomical basis. Typhon being considered on this hypothesis to represent winter, which destroys the fertilizing powers of the sun. He has also been considered to represent that destroying flood which carried away the human race outside the ark. Plutarch, describing these mysteries, says, God is a male and female intelligence. Being both life and light, he brought forth another intelligence, the creator of the world. And Orpheus, who is supposed to have introduced the mysteries into Greece, sings, Jove is a male, Jove is an unspotted virgin. The Brahmanical doctrine in the Samaveda says, The will to create existed with the deity as his bride. The Varahad, Aranyaka, and Upanishad teaches the same. He caused himself to fall in two and thus became husband and wife. The Chinese in their mundane egg divide all nature into male and female. Indeed, Lancy interprets the sacred name, J-H-V-H. H-O-H-I, he-she but Elohim may represent the gods of generation, while Jehovah corresponds with the Persian Ormuzd. There were probably other degrees known only to the priests, as Apuleius relates that after receiving the foregoing, he became a pastafori, was received into the college of priests, and exposed his bald head to the multitude. 
It is possible that a higher revelation here took place, as we find a correspondence to the Persian doctrines in Neph, the creator, and Ta, the organizer, which latter they represented as pure ethereal fire. Buto, or Aether, also creates Typhon, Set, or the evil principle, who marrying Nephthys, or perfection, gives rise to the present mixture of good and evil. These good and evil principles, as in Persia, had their attendant angels or demons, the former numbering 865 principal gods. The immortality of the soul was inculcated, and Dr. Oliver informs us that the perfectly initiated candidate was named Alomya, from the name of the deity, and was instructed in the history of the creation of the world, and the descent of the mysteries from Adam, Seth, and Enoch. The writer Hermes, preserved by Stobius, teaches the Darwinian hypothesis of the progress of the human soul, as an emanation of the one universal soul, from the lowest reptiles upwards, and its retrogression, if by an unholy life the human soul is not perfected. If the king of Egypt has been bred a soldier, he was obliged to conform to these mysteries, study their science, and become chief pontiff. But the heir was not allowed initiation into the higher mysteries till he came to the throne. The dress of the priests was an undergarment like an apron, and a loose upper robe secured by a girdle round the loins. The mysteries of Eleusis in Greece are thus described by an ancient author preserved by Stobius. The mind is affected and agitated in death, just as it is in initiation into the grand mysteries. And word answers to word as thing to thing, for teletau is to die, and telestos to be initiated. The first stage is nothing but errors and uncertainties, laborious wanderings, a rude and fearful march through night and darkness. And now arrived on the verge of death and initiation, everything wears a dreadful aspect. It is all horror, trembling, sweating, and affrightment. But this scene, once over a miraculous and divine light, displays itself, and shining plains and flowery meads upon all hands before them. There they are entertained with hymns and dances, with the sublime doctrines of faithful knowledge, and with reverend and holy visions. And now become perfect and initiated, they are free and no longer under restraint but crowned and triumphant they walk up and down the regions of the blessed, converse with pure and holy men, and celebrate the sacred mysteries at pleasure. It is supposed that there were four steps in the lesser mysteries of Eleusis, of which the first three were limited to purification and preparatory ceremonies. The initiate took the oath of secrecy standing upon the skins of animals slain in sacrifice and was named Mistae. It is conjectured that this rite represented the search of Ceres for her daughter Proserpine, ravished by Pluto and carried to the infernal shades, and that in the higher mysteries the tragic end of Dionysus, or Bacchus, who was torn to pieces by the Titans, arose in splendor and descended into the regions of the dead, was celebrated. The fourth step in the lesser mysteries and the sixth step in the greater mysteries were the principal ceremonials, and the whole took up nine days. The first day was occupied in preparatory ceremonies. On the second, the mist day marched in procession to the Saronic Gulf. The third was a fast in honor of Ceres. The fourth, an offering to Ceres and Proserpine. The fifth was a torchlight procession to the Temple of Ceres. 
The sixth was in honor of Jacchus, the son of Ceres. On the seventh, the Apopte returned in procession to Athens. The eighth day was sacred to Asclepius, the god of medicine. And on the ninth and last day was poured upon the earth a libation of wine towards the rising and setting sun, whilst the initiated looked alternately to heaven and to the earth. The principal ceremonial of the greater mysteries took place at midnight of the sixth day of this magnificent festival. The herald made the usual proclamation, Far hence the profane. Then the mystai took the greater oath of secrecy in the vestibule of the temple of Demeter, was clothed in a fawn skin and saluted with the words, May you be happy. May the good demon attend you. At this point, the assembly was enveloped in darkness. Lightning flashed, thunder rolled, and monstrous forms appeared. The scene was suddenly changed, and the mystai was led by the hierophant into the inner temple, or sanctuary, of Demeter, where he beheld an adorable light. And whilst his ears were saluted with the most harmonious sounds, and his eyes beheld the most enchanting visions of Elysium, his head was crowned with myrtle, and he was clothed in white. The symbols were explained, and he was declared to be born again. The proceedings closed with the words, Con Ompox. He was now termed Apopti. It is believed that the words Con Ompox are traceable in the Sanskrit, and are used by the Brahmins as Kamska Ompaksha. The first is the most ardent vow. Om is the mysterious name of the deity. Paksha means change, turn, vicissitude, etc. Though it appears to have been used in the sense of silence, whence the Latin word pax and the French pax, the entrance of the candidate through the intricate passages and through darkness was emblematical of the wanderings of the soul through the mazes of vice and error before initiation. The noises and specters surrounding him typified the various diseases and calamities and evil passions incident to that mental bondage from which he was about to be emancipated, and exemplified the punishment of the guilty in a future state. His admission into the full splendor of the rites and the dispersion of the shades of night before the brilliant sun of the mysteries represented the dispersion of the clouds of mental error before the sun of truth. Sufficient, we think, has been said to shew the general nature of all these mysteries, and it is therefore useless to follow their ceremonial coincidences further. They had all one origin and varied only in language, differing not further than do the modern rites of Freemasonry. Hence it is said that Saturn, Jupiter, Neptune, Bacchus, Dionysus, Adonis, Hu, Shiva, Brahma, Balder, Phohai, Atis, Cadmalus, Mithras, Manes, etc., are but other names for Osiris, whilst Venus, Astarte, Juno, Ceres, Esenutica, Minerva, Diana, Bologna, Hecate, Ramnusia, Proserpine, Serdivan, Frey, Ray, Siva, etc., are same as Isis. Diodorus distinctly states that the rites of Osiris and Bacchus are the same and that those of Isis extremely resemble those of Ceres, with the change of name only. Strabo, that the Druids of Britain perform the same rites to Ceres and Proserpine, as are used in Samothrace. And Dionysus, the African, that they celebrated the orgies of Bacchus. 
the duality of the deity seems to have been taught in all the mysteries, and as the symbols had originally no impure signification. Some have supposed the gross phallic worship to be figured to us in the curse of Ham. The rites were promulgated in Persia by Zeradus, in Egypt by Hermes, in Samothrace by Dardanus, in India by Brahma, in China and Japan by Buddha, in Israel by Moses, in Greece by Cadmus the Egyptian, in Boeotia by Prometheus, in Crete by Minos, in Messene by Sakon, in Argus by Melampus, in Athens by Erechtheus, in Utrea by Philostratus, in the city of Arene by Lycus, in Thrace by Orpheus, in Italy by Pelasgi, in Cyprus by Sinras, in Gaul and Britain by Gomer, in Scandinavia by Sigi or Odin, in Mexico by Vitzliputzli, and in Peru by Manca Sapac. Truth and the gods in these mysteries were symbolized by a cubical stone, and the doctrine of the immortality of the soul taught, though at times coupled with a corrupt system of transmigration. The colleges established by Moses, the Jewish lawgiver, a man learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, are supposed to have taught the doctrine of a future state, which the great lawgiver concealed under guarded language, in order to strengthen the hands of the judges, and to have continued through the occupation of the Holy Land, being similarly organized to the other religious mysteries. We find in the writings of the prophet Samuel, and in the second book of Kings, references to the Beni Hanabim, or sons of the prophets. These were the disciples of the rabbis or wise men of Israel, and underwent a course of esoteric instruction in the secret schools of the Nabim, or prophets, like the disciples of the Magi in Persia. These esoteric doctrines were afterwards symbolically embodied in the Temple of Solomon, in the same way as existed in Egypt. Those who were carried captives on the destruction of the first temple founded a similar fraternity on the Euphrates and on the restoration by Cyrus. Zerubbabel is supposed to have carried the secret institution to Jerusalem, as three grand lodges existed at Sora, Pomphadita, and Naharda. We find also amongst the Jews that these mosaical colleges went by the name of the Essenes, or Holy supposed to be connected with the military fraternity of the Maccabees, as also with the Chazidians, who were bound by oath to keep the temple in repair. This fraternity consisted of two classes, operative and speculative, the handicraft brothers, and those who devoted themselves to contemplation, Kabbalism, and medicine. At sunrising they invoked the assistance of the deity to enlighten their minds and at sunset they returned thanks in the same way. Candidates remained in a state of probation for one year, and though enjoined all the customs of the association, were not admitted to its meetings. In the second period, the aspirant received the waters of purification. After two more years, he was united in full fellowship, and took a solemn oath as regards his duty to God and his neighbor, secrecy, and the preservation of the ancient landmarks the transmission of their books, and especially the names of the angels. The reception was almost identical with that of the Templars in the Middle Ages of Europe, and similar to the present degree of an entered apprentice mason. 
They were arrayed in white garments, fastened with a girdle, and when listening to the secret instructions of their chief, they stood with the right hand on the breast, a little below the chin, and the left down by the side. We are informed by the Kabbalists that Adam derived a book from the angel Raziel, and with it entered into conversation with sun and moon, knew how to summon good and evil spirits, interpret dreams, foretell events, heal and destroy. Handed down through Seth, Enoch, and Moses, from father to son, this book came into possession of Solomon, and by its aid he was made acquainted with many potent secrets. The Kabbalists used the double triangles, inscribed with the holy names, and called it the Seal of Solomon. We find in their writings the doctrine of emanations, and a duality like that of other ancient mysteries, the elemental spirits of fire, air, water, and earth, and a hierarchy of angels. Their holy scriptures were interpreted esoterically for under the letter by the application of certain rules, corresponding with the hidden teaching of the other mysteries. To words, letters, and numbers, important allegories were discovered. In common with the Persians, Egyptians, and Indians, they believed in the power of the will, for good or evil, and the magical value of certain sacred words. It is impossible within reasonable limits to enter into the mysteries of the Kabbalistic tree and its relations with the names of the deity. But the worshipper was to invoke equally the holy names Eli, Jah, Jehovah, Elohim, El, Elhai Siddiq, Jehovah Sabaoth, Elohai Sabaoth, Shaddai and Adonai, which answer to the ten Sephiroth of which the three first were a later addition upon the old ladder of seven steps, viz. the crown, wisdom, intelligence, strength or power, mercy, beauty, victory or eternity, glory, the foundation, the kingdom. One of the most interesting of the Kabbalistic books is that of Enoch, where will be found the names and offices of the angels, the concealment of the sacred name, and the trinity of manifestations, or procession of the Persians, is thus alluded to. In that hour was the Son of Man invoked before the Lord of Spirits, and his name in the presence of the Ancient of Days. From our Lord Jesus these ancient doctrines passed to the Apostle St. John, who embodied them in the Apocalypse, under hieroglyphic figures analogous to those of the ancients. One of the most celebrated remodelers of the ancient mysteries, the founder, as we should now say, of a rite, was the philosopher Pythagoras, B.C. 586, D. 506, the son of a Sidonian sculptor or operative mason. He was initiated by the Egyptians after being sent round of the delta of cities and was instructed for many years respectively at Heliopolis, Memphis, and Thebes in the different grades. It was even asserted by the ancient fathers of the Christian church that he was initiated by the prophet Ezekiel, but this probably is inferred, owing to the general sameness of the mysteries. So closely does his system resemble modern Freemasonry that various documents and rites have assumed the absolute identity of the two institutions. His disciples were divided into Akusmatisi, Mathematici, and Pythagoreans. A three years novitiate and five years silence was enjoined. The aspirant was required to be perfect in geometry, arithmetic, music, and astronomy, 
before he was advanced to the higher mysteries and styled perfect. Because they alone are able to abstract the soul from sensibles and prepare it for intelligibles. A solemn oath of secrecy was administered and the doctrines were delivered orally. The immortality of the soul was taught, the derivation of all things from one God, whose two principles were called friendship and enmity, as in the Arian doctrine, and the true astronomy or revolution of the earth, which is given the name of Mezzeranio to his system. He seems to have taught that the odd numbers represented light or the good principle, and the even numbers the evil principle, or as the unity is light, so matter being the opposite of light must be evil. Their assemblies were arranged due east and west. They had secret signs and methods of communication, and their symbols were derived chiefly from geometry and consisted of the right angle, the equilateral triangle, the square, the cube, the point within a circle, the dodecahedron, the triple triangle, and the latter Y. They professed a particular regard for those four principles of masonry, a point, a line, a superficies, and a solid, and add that the gods, who are the authors of everything established in wisdom, strength, and beauty, are not improperly represented by a square. This celebrated man was the promulgator of the 45th problem of the first book of Euclid, which in a different form he derived probably from the Egyptians, and he is said to have been destroyed in the temple of the Muses at Metapontum during a tumult raised by an unworthy citizen who had been refused admission to the fraternity. The divine Plato was born about 70 years after the death of Pythagoras, and flourished midway between him and Euclid, and paying like the regard to mathematics wrote over his studio, let none enter here who are ignorant of geometry. His philosophical system was that of the mysteries of which we have treated. His trinity he named Agathos, Logos, and Psyche. Thulius, the king of Egypt, thus demanded the oracle of Serapis. Thou art the god of fire, and governest the course of the heavens. Tell me the truth. Was there ever, or will there ever be, one so mighty as myself? He was answered, First God, then the Word and Spirit, all united in one, whose power can never end. Go hence immediately, O mortal, whose life is always uncertain. And going thence, his throat was cut. About 277 years B.C. Euclid, Another celebrated mathematician flourished at Alexandria in Egypt, and is said to have digested all that has been previously done by Pythagoras and others, and ordained. He that learned the best and were of onest, and passed his fellows, and chiefly also from Alexandria, radiated the Gnostic associations of the Dark Ages, which convey to us the principles of the mysteries. The word gnosis signifies knowledge and prior to Christian times was used by the mystical schools to denote an esoteric science unknown to the vulgar. The first of these brotherhoods, which held common relations with the mysteries, after the Christian era, was the system of Basilides of Alexandria, a contemporary of the Christian apostles, the chief of the Egyptian Gnostics. He taught the dualistic system of the Arians, and that the contradictory principles of good and evil have been in operation from the beginning that man has a brutal and a godlike nature, and that it is his duty to strive and pray that the former may be kept in subjection until the latter is perfected in the divinity 
At the foundation of the system lay the doctrine of emanations. The infinite being and unknown father produced seven most excellent beings or aeons, viz. wisdom, denoting reason, power, to execute the purposes of wisdom. And from these two proceed five others, righteousness, moral perfection, peace, inward tranquility, prudence, etc., etc. From this spirit, the spiritual life proceeded to evolve itself into 72, and further into 365 degrees of emanation. The truth was expressed by the mystical Egyptian word abraxas, which in Greek numerals, in common with the Persia word mithras, make 365, and expresses the whole emanation word as an evolution of the divine essence. This angelic prince, whose name signifies Lord of the Heavens, was typified by the sun. Hence their Christ was figured by that luminary, the pure soul sending forth its influence from the sun and moon, those ships of light, which are ready to transport the purified to the resting place. They asserted that the Jews were worshippers of the highest aeon only, and the seven chief aeons were symbolized in the seven planets, and have, as taught in the Brahmanical doctrine of incarnation, at various times assumed flesh for our instruction. Like the priests of Egypt, they also claimed the ability to see the spirits of the departed, and their taciturnity was expressed in the phrase, Learn to know all, but keep thyself unknown. In their astronomical speculations, the points Cancer and Capricorn are called the gates of the sun. Cancer, moreover, is called the gate of man. Capricorn is the gate of the gods. With the influences of the planet Saturn brings reason and intelligence. Jupiter powers of action. Mars governs the irascible principle. The sun produces sensation and speculation. Venus inspires the appetites. Mercury bestows the power of declaring and expressing. And the moon confers the faculty of generating and augmenting the body. From all that has gone before... It will be seen that it is not alone an identity of ceremony, but also an identity of doctrine, which pervaded these esoteric schools. And the same has even been transmitted to our own times. In connection therewith have been handed down to us certain gems and stones, such as we have in Freemasonry, inscribed with hieroglyphics, which are thus classed by Montfaucon in his Antiquite Explique. 1. Those with a cock's head at the top, referring to the sun, the word abraxas occurs only on some of these. Two, those with the head or body of a lion, commonly inscribed Mithras. Three, those with the name or figure of Serapis. Four, those which have figures of the sphinx, ape, scarab, ibis, asp, goat, crocodile, vulture, etc. Five, those which have human figures and the name Joe, Sabaoth, Adonai, or Eloi. 6. Those with a costly monument and the word Abraxas on it. These were probably emblems of initiation, and as proved by the engraving, not at all confined to one particular rite, but embracing all, referring as they do to the mysteries of Mithras in Persia, of Osiris in Egypt, of the Kabbalists of Judea, and of the Gnostics. Some of these have been discovered in the mosaic ruins of England, and much of the symbolism is found in one form or another in modern Freemasonry. There is one of these antiquities in the British Museum, in the shape of an egg, 
occupying one side as the head of an aged man, the ancient of days or great workman. On the reverse we find the sun and moon and a five-pointed star, a serpent and a scorpion, or evil principle. We find the sects also using the interlaced triangles in their two Masonic forms. In the Temple Heron of Nicolai, there is an account of a Gnostic gem which represents a sinocephalus with a lunar disc on his head. Standing in the act of adoration with septrum displayed before a column engraved with letters and supporting a triangle. A frequent talisman is a head of Medusa, used by them as a preservative charm. Simon Magus, a great power of God, is reputed to have been an initiate of the Gnostic fraternity, and the Egyptian Gnostic Valentinus boasted as his preceptor a learned Jew, who had been a friend of St. Paul, whilst Basilides claimed from a friend and co-laborer of St. Peter, who was learned in the esoteric doctrines of the Christians. These Gnostic mysteries passed on to the Manichees, whom we read about 200 years later as holding analogous opinions, teaching a crucifixion of the flesh, and holding out themselves as the only true church. Within it were two distinct orders of members, the auditors, who were permitted to read the writings of Manny and hear his doctrines stated in their mystical form, and the elect, or perfect, who were the priestly order of the church. From these last were chosen the presiding officers, who, like the apostles, were twelve in number, and rulers of the sect, under the name of magistri. To these twelve were added a thirteenth, or president. Subordinate again to these were seventy-two bishops, priests, and deacons. The Lord's Supper was limited to the elect, or perfect, brothers. If a manichae passed over to the Christian system of Constantine, the Roman emperor, he was obliged to curse his late associates in the following terms. I curse those persons who say that Zerades, Zoroaster, and Buddhas, and Christ, and Manichees, and the Son, are all one and the same. The Son, Urim, or Meni, being the symbol of the Savior, they observed Sunday as a festival in his honor, and in March, celebrated a festival supposed to be in honor of the martyrdom of Manny. When a splendidly adorned pulpit, ascended by five steps, was erected, before which all prostrated themselves. But all sorts of false and libelous statements were made as to the Gnostics, and there is uncertainty even as to Manny's existence. He is described as a pupil of Scythianus, and one account of his death states that having ascended to the top of his house to invoke the demons of air, he was struck by a blow from heaven, which felled him to the pavement beneath, upon which his skull was fractured. The learned brother, Dr. Oliver, asserts that the early Christians who met in fear and trembling had a cross constructed of the square, level, and plumb rule, in such a manner that, if touched, it fell to pieces." and the detected Christian brethren were supposed to be studying architecture. But it is asserted that they also had an examination similar to the other esoteric schools. An unknown stranger, seemingly acquainted with Christianity, was asked for further proof, and produced a carved figure of a fish, which was a universal password and sign over the all-Christian world. He is asked its meaning and replies, Iothus which he is then required to further explain. Iota, Jesus, Chi, Christos, 
Theta, Theos, Epsilon, Ios, Sigma, Soter, Jesus Christ, Son of God, the Savior. They also divided Christianity into the mysteries of purification, initiation, and consummation, catharsis, maestis, and telosis, the latter being the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It is said that the expression, the initiated know what to say, is used 50 times by St. Chrysostom. William of Malmesbury, D. 1143, writing of the Church of St. Mary, Glastonbury, supposed to have been founded by Joseph of Arimathea, and to have been the burial place of Arthur, king of the Britons, observes, Moreover, in the pavement may be remarked on every side, stones designedly interlaid in triangles and squares, under which, if I believe some sacred enigma to be enshrined, I do no injustice to religion. He also alludes to two small pyramids, which he supposes were places of sepulchre. In AD 296, Diocletian burned the Christians and the Gnostics, but they still continued to make progress. He also sought out and burnt all the Egyptian works on alchemy and the secret sciences. When Constantine the Great, in AD 312, converted Christianity into a political system, it became in turn the aggressor and persecuted the esoteric schools with increased bitterness. St. Augustine, B354, D430, was ten years from 374 to 388, an auditor of the Manichees and earnestly desired to become acquainted with the mysteries of the elect or perfect. Valentinian, in the year A.D. 372, and Theodosius, A.D. 381, forbade the meetings of the Gnostic, Eleusinian, and other religious mysteries, which still, however, continued to be celebrated. To escape the sovereignties of the laws, they were now obliged to change their names, and their rites and doctrines were therefore taken up in secret by various bodies of Christians, supposed to be orthodox. The Gnostics in the 6th century were put to the sword in Persia. Some embraced Mohammedanism and originated sects of dervishes, who have, as we have seen, similar constitutions. In A.D. 657, we find that Manichaean doctrines were embraced by the Paulicians, with slight differences. These endured persecution for 300 years, whence 100,000 were put to the sword. Some took the old names of Cathari, and Eukites, and Bogomils, and Albigenses, and held their meetings in secret. During these centuries, the Gnostics and the Jews possessed all the learning of the East, and the 11th century saw the establishment at Cairo of the House of Solomon by Hakim B. Amir Ilah, a Jew of the Magian religion, where Egyptian philosophy, mathematics, logic, medicine, and chemistry were taught, first by seven and later by nine degrees after the fashion of the Pythagorean and Indian philosophers. St. Bernard, the celebrated mystic and founder of the Templar rule, whilst taking the part of the papacy, says of the Gnostic sects, If you ask them of their faith, nothing can be more Christian-like. If you observe their conversation, nothing can be more blameless. And what they speak, they make good their actions. As to life and manners, he circumvents no man, overreaches no man does violence to no man. He fasts much and eats not the bread of idleness, but works with his hands. We have endeavored in the foregoing account of the scientific and religious mysteries of antiquity to show 
so far as the existing material will allow, that they all had similar ceremonies, taught the same doctrines, and had like objects in view, and in reality differed not more amongst themselves than do the modern rites, either of the church or the still-existing esoteric fraternities. We shall also find that allowing for dilapidations caused by lapse of ages, the modern schools of the latter are yet the faithful representatives of the former. There can be no doubt that the propagation of the secret doctrines of these associations paved the way for the public teaching of the sublime views of Christianity, when in fullness of time the antitype of the mysteries, who was destined to bring peace and salvation, who said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, appeared as the cubicle stone, sweating blood and water and suffering anguish of soul. The lost word then reappeared in all its brilliancy and was preached in parables and symbols amongst an ignorant and debased people who would have stoned the hierophants of the mysteries for any attack upon their prejudices, as the Jews actually crucified him that was sent. This was not, however, the cause or first application of the cross to religious purposes such being an old Egyptian symbol, but the reception of Christian morality made such rapid progress that the initiation sank into contempt and became the plaything of strolling priests. With the ascension of Constantine the Great to the throne of the Roman Empire in AD 312, a new and reformed era of Christian teaching and the mysteries had commenced, and the Romish Church for a thousand years fulminated its thunders against the esoteric schools and destroyed their votaries with fire and sword, for the professed object of the one association was to enlighten the mind. But with loss of truth it became the object of the other to keep it in bondage and darkness. We shall see the truth of this statement as we proceed in the following chapters. Thank you for listening to this sample. To continue listening to this book and for access to all of our other full audiobooks, please subscribe for $7.77 per month. Go to adultbrain.ca or follow the link in the show notes. This will be a completely separate podcast with a new RSS feed and will have all the titles from this feed as well. Thank you for your help and support in bringing rare and forgotten books to audio for the world.